Americans are obsessed with the future. Um, and, and what's interesting to me is a lot of people that uh, would claim that they, that they don't believe in God, or they might even make fun of people who pray and try to connect with this higher being and try to, to uh, get his opinion on the future. These same people will, um, who make fun of us will go to certain places like, you know, uh, palm readers, or they'll do the tea leaf reading thing, or they'll do astrology, and, and they'll do all of these different things to try to find the future instead of talking to the one who knows the future. I did a uh, Google search, and I just wanted to, to put in some words about future and find out what, what is out there on the web, and I found this out. Um, you type in astrology, and, and you don't type this in. You don't need to go there. I'm, I'm just telling you for reference sake. 38 million sites on astrology trying to figure out our future. Over 4 million sites on palm reading, including one that teaches you how to read your own palm. That has a lot to do with my future. Um, there's, let's see, 3 million for fortune cookies, including how you can buy in bulk. How can, how can buying in bulk help you with the future. I just, I don't understand that at all. And a million websites for reading tea leaves. Now, James, in our series, we're talking about right now, and we said that James is the most practical, one of the most practical books in the Bible. In the Old Testament, you have the book of Proverbs. It's the wisdom book for the Old Testament. Lots of sayings about how to do life. In the New Testament, the, the kind of rough equivalent is the book of James. James has a lot to say about planning. And he says, by all means plan, but be smart in your planning. What James does, though, in the passage we're going to look at today is he identifies three mistakes that, that people make when planning. And I'm willing to bet everybody here has made these same mistakes. And, and James would say, wouldn't you like to improve the intelligence quotient of your decision-making? Wouldn't you like to raise your decision-making IQ? Wouldn't you like to idiot-proof your decisions? No one? Okay, then you got to follow James's advice. Now, in chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, you might want to follow along. James chapter 4, we come across a conversation between two businessmen. One of these guys has his Ph.D. from Jerusalem University, and the other guy is a leader of a Fortune 500 company in Jerusalem. And we happen on their conversation in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Here's what it says. Look here, you people who say, today or tomorrow we're, gonna go, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. Now, people make plans every day. And so the question comes up, what's wrong with this picture? I wonder if we were to go back one year and try to figure out uh, who of us knew what was going to happen. None of us knew that we would be in this building now. Um, none of us knew that we would have the most expensive presidential race in, in history and more votes cast. And no, no one knew a year ago that we would have the first African-American president-elect. No one knew a year ago that, that Hurricane Ike was going to slam the coast and that some people would still be suffering from Hurricane Ike. Um, no one knew that uh, the governor's mansion was going to burn to the ground. Anybody know that a year ago? The Bible doesn't talk about, uh, doesn't, isn't against planning. In the Old Testament, it says all the time, you should plan. But James says the planning that these guys do, these entrepreneurs who have very specific plans, where today or tomorrow, uh, where, uh, when, today or tomorrow, where, certain city, how long, a year, and what's the purpose? We're going to make a profit. So they had a plan, they had a purpose, they had a, had a way to measure their progress. What's wrong with planning? Well, these guys made the first mistake that James identifies. And mistake number one is planning without God. 
There's no mention in this business plan of God. And Proverbs says a whole lot about it. Look at Proverbs 19.21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So what the Bible tells us is that regardless of what you plan, God has a plan, and if your plan comes in conflict with God's plan, guess who wins? God. You can ignore God, and if you try to ignore God, He will let you. If you have your own plans, God will let you go your own way, but you're going to fail, and you're probably going to fail miserably. Got a clip from uh, Bruce Almighty. Nobody's seen that movie, right? Bruce spends his whole life up to this point making his own plans and then he gets ticked off at God. Watch what happens. You must be Bruce. I've been expecting you. This is hilarious. So you're the boss and the electrician and the janitor. Must be a killer Christmas party. Don't get drunk, though. One of you might need a ride home. (laughs) (laughs) You always were funny, Bruce. Just like your father. He didn't mind rolling up his sleeves either, son. People underestimate the benefit of good old manual labor. It's freedom in it. Some of the happiest people in the world go home smelling to high heavens at the end of the day. All right, what is this? How do you know my father, and how do you get my pager number? Oh, I know quite a lot about you, Bruce. Just about everything there is to know. Everything you've ever said, or done, or thought about doing, right there in that file cabinet. Wow, a whole drawer just for me. Yeah. Mind if I take a look? Sure, like. That's not gonna be good. last entry was a little disturbing. The gloves are off, God. God has taken my bird and my bush. God is a mean kid with a magnifying glass. Smite me, almighty smiter. Now, I'm not much for blaspheming, but that last one made me laugh. Are you spying on me? Who are you? I'm the one. Huh? Creator of the heavens and the earth. Alpha and Omega. Oh, I see where this is going. Bruce? I'm God. Bingo! Yahtzee! Is that your final answer? Our survey says... God! Bing, 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 bing! Well, it was nice to meet you, God. Thank you for the Grand Canyon, and good luck with the apocalypse. Oh, and by the way, you suck! You know what would have been a little bit more impressive, though? If you hadn't used the cheesy file cabinet illusion. Anybody with a brainstem can tell that that drawer is being fed through the wall from the other side. All you have to do is find the crease right around here. There is a seam here, or a hollow spot. Where? Through the drywall and concrete? Hey, that is a good one. That is a good one. 
Okay, how many fingers am I holding up? Now, Bruce, thou shalt not tempt the Lord. Hey, if you can't God. do it, man, that's cool. Three, two, four, nine, six, eight, one. Okay. How many now? Seven. Aha! You've been doing a lot of complaining about me, Bruce. Quite frankly, I'm tired of it. Wait, 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 wait. Don't come near me. Seriously, when I'm backed into a corner, I'm like a wild animal. I don't want to hurt you, but I will out of instinct. You haven't won a fight since grade five, and that was against a girl. Yeah, she was huge. Yeah, but she was huge. Now, I don't know if you've ever been that honest with God to tell God that he sucks. Bruce had planned his whole life and left God out. And when you do that, you do it to your own peril. Um, I was doing some studying this, this week, and I found uh, a speech that Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave years ago. you got to understand about this guy. He was Russian. He was born in Russia. He did a lot of writing, and he um, eventually was imprisoned because he was against Stalin. He talked about the prison camps, and they finally got tired of him, so they threw him in prison for eight years. Uh, eventually, he keeps writing, keeps writing. Eventually, they throw him out of Russia. Um, back, I think it was 1970, he got the Nobel Prize in Literature because of all of his writings on Russia. Here's, a, here's part of a speech that he gave back um, years ago. More than a half century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of older people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Since then, I've spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I've read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own. Actually, now his completed works are 30 volumes on the history of Russia. But at this point, 25 years ago, it was only eight. Eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by the upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million Russians, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. What is more, the events of the Russian Revolution can only be understood now at the end of the 20th century against the background of what has since occurred in the rest of the world. What emerges here is a process of universal significance. And if I were called upon to identify briefly the principal trait of the entire 20th century, by this time he's living in the United States, had taught at uh, Stanford University and, and uh, uh, was very aware of Western culture. He's saying what has swallowed up the entire 20th century. He said, I would be unable to find anything more precise than to repeat once again, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Well, if you go back 2,000 years, James says, that's what happened. People are planning without God. Now, lots of people would say that, that they love God with all of their heart, but then if you look at their calendars, if you look at their planning, they leave God out. Their business, their career, their education, who they're going to marry. Actually, if you look at the way most people live who say they love God, they're atheists. In, in, in reality, they live as if there is no God. And, you know, for me, it's really a sad thing to meet someone who says, I don't believe in God. I don't believe He exists. But there's something even sadder. It's someone who says, I believe in God but then lives like he doesn't exist. That's an even sadder state because we should know better. You say you believe in God? Well, my question is, does he have any place in your business? Oh, I don't believe in mixing business and faith. Well, that almost sounds spiritual, except it's stupid. 
All business is God's business if you're a believer. If God doesn't have a place in your business, then your belief is worthless. Look that up in the book of James. Planning without God is atheism. Okay, so what's the solution? James 4.15. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Now, you've heard of Murphy's Law. I am a living example of Murphy's Law. If anything bad can happen, it probably will. I was sharing with you last week about how I like to go fast, and Tina Walling catches me after church, and she said, you're way too accident-prone to go fast. You should never go fast. And Janie laughed. Y'all didn't. Um, Life is filled with uncertainties. In fact, look at the word life. Put that up on the screen, if you would, Danielle. Um, What's right in the middle? If. Life is iffy. There's uncertainties that happen all the time. Planning without consulting the one who knows the future is dumb. Okay, so what is the solution? Well, let's talk to God first. The starting point in facing your future is God. You ask God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me not to do? What do you want me to stop doing? James said we should preface all of our planning with if God wants us to. And, you know, that could become a cliche because back when I was growing up, people would say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this. If the Lord wills, we'll do this. And, and really, that's what the Bible says, but it's not supposed to be some ritualistic formula. What it means is the whole attitude of our life should be it's up to God. I'm not in control of the future, but I know the one who does control the future, so I'm going to go with him and not with my own plans. For hundreds of years, Christians used to end letters with the the initials D-V, and it stood for Deo Valente, I think it's Valente, or Valent, which means, it's Latin, means the Lord willing. They would write their whole letter, they would sign their name, and then they would put D-V. If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Verse uh, Chapter 16, verse 3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and then your plans will succeed. Did you see the order? First, you talk to God. You get in on His plans, and then you will succeed. He reveals His plans for your life when He finds out He can trust you. He doesn't throw His will out for anybody to find because He can't trust anybody. He waits until He finds an obedient Christian, a humble Christian, and then He opens up all kinds of possibilities for them. Stop praying, God bless what I'm doing. Too many people get out their calendars, plan their whole life, and then, then kind of like some magic pixie dust, they'll go to God and say, oh, God, bless my plans. You know what? God doesn't even listen to that prayer. God is so much bigger and His plans are so much bigger that He won't waste His time with you. But if you humble yourself before God, remember we talked about that in this series, He will lift you up. You know how He lifts you up? He lifts you up by revealing to you some things that He wants you to do, the contribution that He wants you to make in this world. So you don't ask Him to bless your plans. You say, God, help me to do what you're blessing. It puts the focus on God and not on you. So the first mistake is planning without God. The second mistake is assuming I have tomorrow. Verses 14 and 16. How do you know what will happen tomorrow? For your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. And then you skip down to verse 16. Otherwise, you're boasting, boasting about tomorrow, um, boasting about your own plans. All such boasting is evil. James says there's two problems with assuming you have tomorrow. The first is life is unpredictable. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, do you? You can guess. You can make educated guesses. But I'm willing to bet there's going to be some surprises in your tomorrow that you didn't see coming. None of us know what's going to happen today, much less tomorrow or next year. We could have wars. The economy could turn around. That would be a nice surprise, wouldn't it, if the economy turned around? Don't assume that you're even going to be around tomorrow. 
Second thing, second problem with assuming you have a tomorrow is life is short. The Bible calls your life, my life, a lot of different things. In this passage, it says that it's like the morning fog. There are some other terms that the Bible talks about our life. It says our life is like a leaf, grass, shadow, cloud, puff of smoke, and a vapor. How long do any of those things last? Not very long. I'm 44 years old. Last weekend, I was running around on the football field with a bunch of young bucks. And I kept wondering, where did my legs go? Where did my lungs go? I could, I ran one time, pulled my hamstring. I kept running, just, be, I don't think it made any difference in the speed I was going, pulling a muscle. And I'm going, where did my twenties go? And really, my mind was saying do things and my body was not responding. You ask anybody that was out there, they'll, they'll, shut up. It was bad. I was so sore for like days afterwards. What happened to my 20s and my 30s? I'm 44. Where'd it go? Life is short. Isaiah 56, 12 says, They say, come, let's drink some wine. Let's drink all the beer we want. And tomorrow we will do this again. Or maybe we'll have an even better time tomorrow. You know anybody who lives like that? Let's get drunk. Let's get drunk again. Let's get a bunch of people drunk. Well, that's pretty stupid. If that's all you live for is to get drunk, what kind of legacy are you leaving? When they put you in the ground, you think people are going, ah, let's get drunk in memory. No, they're going to say, what a sad life he lived. If you have children and that's your lifestyle, they don't want to pass that on to their children. Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to have good... When we come up here for our party, you don't bring alcohol. But we will have fun. We laugh. We have a good time. <laughs> we eat most of our meals together. It's some of the best fun we have as a family because we'll talk about stuff and just stuff comes up. We laugh. It's okay to laugh at the table. I have some friends that are so strict that I don't like to eat with them. Their kids sure don't. They actually were over one time and we were singing. I was singing at the table specifically because I knew that their rule is you can't sing at the table. So I just bust out and sing. Okay, so what do we do if, if uh, I can't assume that I have tomorrow? The Bible has the answer. Matthew 6.34, this is Jesus talking. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. There it is. The solution is live one day at a time. Live today to the fullest. The future is overwhelming if you think about it. But fortunately, the future comes to us in bite-sized pieces, right? 24 hours a day, 60 minutes an hour, 60 seconds in a minute. If we take it in bite-sized pieces, we can make the most of right now and not worry so much about tomorrow because the Bible says God will worry about tomorrow. Now, generally, there's two kinds of people that fill up churches and actually the whole world. There's one type of person who is stuck in the past. Something happened traumatic in their past and they're stuck there. They had a bad marriage. They had bad parenting. The the room, their, their, their uh, nursery was painted the wrong color and it's affecting the rest of their life. Something traumatic happened in their past and they're stuck there. And they miss today and they miss the future because they're stuck in the past. And I'm not saying that pain doesn't happen. Pain happens. It's a part of life. And God tells us how to deal with it. We have a re- recovery program on Friday nights to help people deal with it that's right lots of people come and they will tell you that when you do things God's way you get better and you're not stuck in the past but there's another type of person that's paralyzed 
It's the person who's so worried about tomorrow. What if, what if, what if this happens? What if this happens? That they miss today. And they spend all of their time planning and then they don't even have plans for when they die. They don't have plans for what, what other people are going to do with everything that they accumulated when they die. And someone else has to deal with it. We don't want to be either kind of person, stuck in the past or stuck in the future. God says live today to the fullest. Now there's a third mistake. And, and this one gets me. James 4.17 Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I went out of order there, Danielle, sorry. Here's, here's mistake number three. Putting off doing good. Okay, if, if James hadn't hit you yet, he's about to. Procrastination is a sin. Good intentions are not enough. If I were to ask you to name sins, we've done this before. We've gone around and asked people about sins and they name things like um, lying, stealing, murdering, committing adultery. You know, they name all of those big things. Well, those are actually sins that we call of commission. You actually have to commit those sins. You have to do something. You, there's an act that you do that's called sin. There's another sin, though, that, that James identifies, and I think this is one that's rampant in churches. It's called the sin of omission. Did you know you can actually not do something? You cannot do anything and it be sin? Because there's certain things that God wants you to do, and you probably know God wants you to do those things, and James identifies those things as sin. I grew up in a very legalistic church. Don't smoke, don't cuss, don't go out with girls who chew and, and all of that stuff. And, and so we had all these rules and everybody knew these rules and they wouldn't dare break them in public. I happen to know a lot of them broke them in private. But they wouldn't break them in public because we couldn't do those things and be good Christians. We've worked real hard at New Life not to be legalistic. There is freedom in Christ. And in fact, in Romans it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ. There's freedom in Christ. But although... Membership in God's family has privileges, freedom. It's also responsibility. And I am my neighbor's keeper. And if I do something that causes my neighbor to stumble, I'm sinning. And if I know what I ought to do for my neighbor and I don't do it, I'm sinning. It's a sin of omission. Procrastination is this trap that Satan, Satan wants you to put it off until it's too late. You may be thinking about telling somebody about Christ. He wants you to put it off until you or they die and they don't hear about Christ. You may be thinking about serving in the church and you keep putting it off and someday it's going to be too late. Someday I'll get serious about Christ and then it's too late. Well, what's the solution? Do it now. Quit putting it off. Proverbs 3.27 Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. If you can do something now, the Bible says you need to do it. Now you can spend your life, you can, you can actually use your life one of three ways. You can spend your life, you can waste it, or you can invest it. And the best use of your life is to invest it in something that lives on beyond you. Jim Elliott uh, was a missionary to Ecuador. He was trying to reach this people group that nobody had ever reached before and they were very dangerous and in fact, he lost his life trying to reach these people. And there's a movie out called The Spear. Isn't that what it's called? The Spear? The End of the Spear? A great movie about his life reaching these people. The incredible thing that happened is when he gave his life, 
when he shed his blood, that's exactly what opened up these people to Christ. And now you can hear interviews of folks who have come to Christ because Jim Elliot was willing to sacrifice. Here's what Jim Elliot said, one of his best quotes. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. Jim gave his life so that a whole people group could come to Christ. He knew the right thing to do and he did it. See, what's going to last? There there are two things that are going to last. The Word of God and people. Why don't we spend our lives, invest our lives in those two things? Making sure that people hear the Word of God because you're going to spend eternity somewhere. You will live somewhere forever. It's either in heaven or in hell. That's according to Jesus, not according to me. Jesus, the one who died on the cross. Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead, who overcame death. He said you're going to spend life one of two places. It's interesting that in America, 88% of people in America believe in heaven. About 36% believe in hell. You know the source of both of those ideas? Jesus Christ. You think he's telling the truth about one and lying about the other? I don't, and I don't want to find out. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. And see, we worry about the duration of our life. How long am I going to live? God worries about the donation of my life. What did I do with the time that He gave me? Am I making my life count or am I flushing it down the toilet? God's very clear. Make your life count, but do it today. Whatever you intend to do for God, do it right now. Not next week, not next month, not next year. If you're thinking about inviting a friend to church, do it today. If you're thinking about serving at New Life, do it today. If you're thinking about starting to tithe and give, which we expect our church members and our regular uh, attenders to do, start today. And here's an interesting little tidbit. Every church I've ever been in, December has been the biggest giving month of the year because we had lots of folks who had lots of money. And, and they would wait till the end of the year and they'd have businesses and stuff and, and they would, they would give these big things so that they got their tax deduction, which is totally legal and totally legit and I'm all for that. Cause the government says, you know, if you don't give it, you know, charitably, then you're gonna give it somewhere. So give it to us. I mean, you know, but in this church, and I understand, cause we got a lot of young folks. And b- by the way, next week's message from James is, is how to be wise with your wealth. Right now, be wise with your wealth. So all I'm saying is don't forget God financially in, in December. You like that? Second Corinthians 6.2 Right now God is ready to welcome you. Today He is ready to save you. When is the best time to get things right with God? Right now. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story about a guy. He was a businessman and he made all three of the mistakes we talked about today. He planned without God. Um, he assumed he had tomorrow. And he put off doing good. Luke 12, 16 through 21. Jesus talking. And he gave this illustration. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full of overflowing. So he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store everything. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get it all? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship towards God. This guy, all he could see was, I'm successful. He had eye trouble. I am the best. I've done so great. My my crops are are incredible. I'm going to tear down this barn and I'm going to build another one. It is a great thing. And the Bible tells us that the angel of God came down to his funeral and etched on his tombstone the words that symbolized his life. Fool. 
You don't even know that you're going to die tonight. And then who's going to get all your stuff? Well, the answer is to invest right now in things that live beyond your life. Right now, God is ready to welcome you. Today, He is ready to save you. For some of you, today is the day you need to give your life to Christ. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You are not here by an accident. You were made by God to do more than take up space on the planet. You were made to do more than wake up in the morning, go to job, come home, go to bed, and do it again until you retire. God has a plan for you, and He wants to be the manager of your life. Some of you need to realize that you've been planning your future without God. You may be a Christian, but you've made all your plans, and then you say, God, I want you to bless my plans. God says, that's atheism. That's ignoring me, acting like I don't exist, and I will not bless those plans. Let's get real specific. Have you talked to God about how you're going to retire? Some of you are like, no, that's a long ways down the road. Some of you are closer than others, like me. Have you talked about, or are you just assuming you can do whatever you want to do and God's going to bless you? Have you talked to your plans, uh, talked to God about your plans to go back to school to get a degree? Have you talked to God about your plans to get married, to get a divorce, to date, to remain single? Have you asked God about those things? Don't you think He's interested in every aspect of your life? Have you talked to God about your business? James says that none of us have a right to plan without God. Act like He doesn't care. Do you have a tendency to take tomorrow for granted? Oh, there will always be time to spend with my wife and my kids. Right now we're just trying to make ends meet. We're trying to make a buck. People do this all the time and then they make money and they finally get to a certain economic level and what they find out is they have no relationships left. Is God your business partner? You want to know how you can find out if God's your business partner? Does He get part of the profits? Whoever heard of a business partner that doesn't get part of the profits? What have you been knowing that you ought to do and you've been putting it off? James says, do it right now. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? We're going to have a time of prayer. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to get things right with God right now. If you are not a follower of Christ, and and it's real simple, the way you become a follower of Christ is you say, God, I'm a sinner and I need you in my life. It's something that simple. The Bible says if you pray that prayer, He adopts you into His family. So some of you right now need to say, God, I, I, I know I'm a mess up and I need you. Please forgive me. Some of you, you've been planning your life without God. You've been living like an atheist. You're a follower of Christ and you would say, oh, I love God, but your life doesn't say you love God. Maybe it's time right now to come back and say, God, I'm sorry. I need to come back. I've forgotten you. And some of you have been knowing what you need to do. You know in your heart what God has called you to do and you've been putting it off. James says in in verse 17, to him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, it is sin. It's time to do the right thing. So whatever it is you need to pray to God, just take a moment and pray to Him silently. Don't procrastinate. Father, I thank You that You're here today. I thank You for Your presence and for Your Word, how it applies to every area of our lives. God, help us to trust You and not ourselves. Help us to realize that our life is in Your hands and and that is the safest place to be.
Help us to do the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen.